Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG on this Monday edition. Did you go to work today? Everybody's supposed to be sick after the Super Bowl, but I know you're there. Uh, or you shouldn't be, so you're not there. So I know everyone's doing what they should be. Lots of stories coming up today on uh, Trumper Radio Live. Uh, lots of interesting news stories to take a look at. And also, the topic of joy. Can you be joyful continually? It's a good question. There's ways to do it. We're going to take a look at that and more coming up on this Monday edition of Trumper Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Today's Monday. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon's here. Grant and I had a good time yesterday. We uh, Grant had uh, myself and a good group of people over. We watched the Super Bowl on the big screen. And uh, now I, I'm now I can't ever invite anybody over because my TV's not that big. <laughs> I felt bad. I saw I saw your screen. I said, "Oh man, now what am I going to offer anyway?" <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, it's really good for hosting to have a, a setup like that. So that's the main reason I like it. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun game. I mean, if you're a football fan, I think uh, it was just a great great game. Well well fought and, and enjoyable, uh, just in terms of the the play. I think. And, of course, I don't want to be the spoiler here, but the Eagles won the Super Bowl <laughs> 41-33. And uh, so uh, that's their uh, first Super Bowl. So the Eagles were fans were very excited, of course. Uh, congratulations to them. I mean, unfortunately, there was a little bit of uh, difficulty, I guess, in Philadelphia last night. Uh, the fans just get crazy. Here's what a few of them did. They say what started on the streets of Philadelphia as a joyous celebration of the Eagles' first Super Bowl championship Sunday night quickly turned rowdy and destructive as night gave way to morning. Boisterous fans smashed a Macy's store window. (laughs) Come on, what's Macy's got to do with it? Looters broke into a convenience store and other revelers flipped over a car. Uh, I always think about the person that owns that vehicle. You came out and your car was flipped on its top and you're like... (laughs) What did I? Why? Why me? You know, uh, rowdy fans also were seen looting and trashing a Sunco gas station. Some were yelling, "Everything is free," which was not true. And then this is this is unbelievable here. In another particularly vile moment of celebration, an Eagles fan could be seen eating horse manure off a street as a crowd of people gathered around him to cheer him on and film the spectacle on their phones. Oh. So uh, they talk about people faking sickness to not go to work after the Super Bowl Sunday. In, in a case like this, this guy probably is not going to work because he's probably sick. <laughs> that is just horrible. Yeah, it's hard to even understand why people why people react this way. I mean, we all watched the game, and I think we're like, that was great, yeah. but now I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. And that was what we did. But these people go out and just start destroying things. Even if my favorite team won, I'd be excited for like an hour but I'd still want to go to sleep pretty soon after that. Yeah, no no need to get crazy about it. Uh, 
Yeah, I was telling you before we came in the air. I did have weird dreams though last night. I think it was like weird combinations of the Super Bowl and commercials. Yeah, and just people. I think that were at the gathering, and it all blended into this bizarre story. And I just woke. It was one of those where I just woke up and I thought, "Wow, that was something." (laughs) I felt exhausted from all these weird dreams I was having. Yeah, the commercials were really outstanding this year. There were just a lot of really clean, funny ones that 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 we could enjoy like all the different tide ads that were in there like they just monopolized the commercials yesterday just really creative that one about uh the pringles where they're just stacking the different flavors and the one guy from far off is like oh so you can make different flavors and the guy's like nobody asked you kevin (laughs) right (laughs) that was my that was my favorite one just because he was acting all nice now all of a sudden he just starts screaming at someone for no reason they had some pretty good ones i we were talking about it during the game and i was thinking if uh, the ultimate would have been if they could have done that Tide commercial inside of a local ad because <laughs> yeah. the Tide guy kept popping up in all these ads. Well, what if it was like your local car commercial and all of a sudden that's like, it's a Tide ad. Every local commercial yeah, that's on there. Yeah, they would have had to do every single one. That would have been amazing to do. How much would, must it have cost because they did they took ads that looked like they were for like Old Spice and Mr. Clean and they tricked you and at the end they're like, no, this is a Tide ad. So they must have had to pay those other brands to use those likenesses, right? Otherwise, they're just basically plagiarizing it. Oh, that's a good question. I wonder if they did. I wonder if they probably s- cost a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Or if they kind of maybe split the cost between them a little bit. Um, I, and I, I was wondering too if they get a package deal where if you buy five or six spots, maybe maybe they give you a deal mm. on it because you think about how much money they're spending. Yeah. What is it like five million dollars for thirty seconds or something? So if you've got five or six ads, you start thinking about it. you got to sell a lot of detergent or laundry yeah. detergent to make up that so <laughs> it must be worth it to him i you know i i don't know i i guess uh i guess i don't go buy my wife goes and buys that stuff i don't know if that would impact her thinking at all seeing those commercials <laughs> but apparently um you know somebody will buy more tide yeah that, i think they're just such a successful brand that obviously they can afford all those commercials and then people who maybe didn't care that much would at least be a little bit more excited about the brand obviously you can only get so so excited about laundry detergent but if you associate it with that ad you're probably a little bit more excited and you'll know what brand you want to buy the next time yeah it must help them out i'm sure they do lots of studies to to figure out all in all they say the super bowl uh is currently uh, rated um the lowest since 2010 when the new orleans saints beat the indianapolis colts ratings weren't bad um and it's kind of different now because I have to look at all these different platforms. There's TV and maybe people watch it other ways. But anyway, that's not one of the higher rated ones, I guess. Uh, here's the markets where the most people watch the Super Bowl from uh, 10 to number 1. Uh, the, in 10th, Tide was Seattle and Kansas City. Then in 9, Milwaukee. 8, Providence, which makes sense. 7, New Orleans. 6, Norfolk. Uh, five Pittsburgh, four Minneapolis, St. Paul, three Boston, which you'd expect, two Philadelphia, number one Buffalo. No way. Buffalo, the Buffalo market had the most people watching the Super Bowl. They even beat out the actual participating cities. <laughs> they actually um, have unbelievable ratings on all their hockey games. Like even even if there's a huge game going on in football or basketball, the local hockey game is always rated higher over there just because. Uh, they're pretty p- passionate fans. So probably in this case, they just have so many Patriots haters over in that region that they were all just watching, hoping that 
Tom Brady and Bill Belichick would lose. Oh, you're probably right. The, they would probably hate watching. Probably. As it was, yeah. as it were. Maybe it was really cold, too. They had nothing better to do. <laughs> stay inside. But uh, So anyway, it was, it was an interesting uh, game, and a lot of people do like to uh, at least watch the spectacle, I guess. You know, I found it interesting, too, this, um, this GOP memo that came out. Uh, they, they released it on Friday. It's always interesting when things get released on a fr- late Friday, right before the weekend and right before Super Bowl weekend. Because that's a massive story. That is the story of stories right now. And yet, and, and it, it is getting some coverage, but yet it gets a little bit buried in some of this other stuff. And I wonder if there's some intention, intentional um, you know, timing there to release things that are pretty serious, but you kind of forget about them over the weekend. That's what the uh, president has traditionally done, not just this one, but for, for many years. A lot of the time they might sign some sort of important declaration Friday evening because people are already going off for the weekend. It would seem, though, that the Republicans would really want this one to get a lot of publicity. I don't know why they would uh, want it buried under the Super Bowl, but that's just the effect that Friday has on a lot of important news. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the, the New York Post has this headline today. The GOP memo, and I'm assuming everyone listening pretty much knows what I'm talking about without getting into all the details here, but if you don't, just look on the internet (laughs) you'll find it the gop memo proves the quote deep state is real uh that's always the topic of oh what conspiracy theory movies and so forth and some some pretty out there programming but it says look this is real it says now that we know what the declassified house memo says about government misconduct we also know what it means the Washington swamp, the deep state, is bigger, more vicious, and more dangerous to American liberty than even a cynic could have imagined. Are people going to understand that and see that? What do you think? Well, that's more. What happened there is more wild than what hap- what happens in most movies or fictional novels, and yet a lot of those people who are guilty are coming out and saying that the memo means nothing and it's yeah. no big deal, and it's how the FBI always does things. Or, and the Department of Justice, if that's the case, we need to probably look into a lot of decisions they've made because it's just about as corrupt as you can possibly get. Basically, Hillary Clinton actually colluding with the Russians to to form this uh, just disgusting dossier that smears President Trump, and then they use that as a reason to actually spy on President Trump. Even though everyone knows it's fake and everyone knows that uh, his opponent paid for that document to be written, they're still using it to spy on the president and his whole administration. Uh, it doesn't get much more evil and corrupt than that. No, it sure doesn't. This New York Post a write-up says, because of the memo and previous revelations, we know that swamp creatures, <laughs> as they call them, are embedded in the top of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Some use their power to try to tip presidential campaign based on their personal politics. Big deal? Not a big deal? You know, like you said... Uh, it kind of depends on what s- political side people are on. If people are more on the conservative side, they are saying, hey, this is a huge deal. But then those that are actually guilty or of the guilty party in this case say nothing to see here. Move on. And the media, m- most cases, is of that same thinking. Washington Post today, their top story is that uh, Republican lawmakers distance themselves from Trump on memo. And they say uh, the Democrats on the panel uh, we're gearing up for a possible vote on their party's uh, response and how they're going to respond to this. So they're making it out like, you know, people are upset with President Trump for releasing this, and that's the big focus here. But what about what the memo says? <laughs> how about focusing on that? 
um, a lot of people are not going to want to look at what it says. Yeah, it it should be out there. Everyone should be talking about it constantly because it's uh, something like Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry recently said makes Watergate pale in comparison to because it's such a huge conspiracy against uh, the nation's leader, basically. They're trying to get him out of office, and it's not because he is a danger, like they always try to say. He's not a threat to the free world. It's because they personally don't like him. He doesn't agree with their agenda. He's taking away their power because they're not in office because of him, and so they hate him for it. They hate him personally, and they're just doing whatever they can to smear him, lie about him constantly. Another example that comes to mind is what they did to Robert Bork in 1987 when President Reagan tried to put him into into, uh, the Supreme Court, and they just constantly smeared him. They ran attack ads on TV. They said that uh, his America would be an America of back alley abortion, segregation, racism, midnight raids on people's homes. And none of that was true whatsoever, but they lied about it so much that everyone believed it. And here's another thing where they're just going to keep on lying about Trump collusion with the Russians until enough millions of Americans actually believe it's true. Yeah, and I think we're in such a uh, negative cycle in this country where when uh, a politician does get caught lying, people don't seem to care. They're like, well, what do you expect? It's politics, right? There was that survey a while ago. It was a while back, but it was from Oklahoma University where they asked about presidents lying Mm -hmm. or politicians lying, and they said, well, that's what they do. So there there could be, I mean, normally there would be severe penalties for this type of thing, but it seems like there isn't anymore. Yeah, that's really a huge part of this too is that uh, people are just free to smear, and that's society-wide that's true even with, uh, some parts of the Me Too movement where you could just lie about it, and if it if someone happens to believe the lie, whoever's being accused gets in huge trouble, loses his job, might even have his family break apart because of the accusation. In this case, could be impeached. Uh, it could go that far if people are that stirred up about it. And yet, if it's proven that the people who are making the accusations are lying, what's the punishment for that? Where are the repercussions for the people who are actually being just clinically dishonest and actually breaking one of the Ten Commandments? It's a good question. Fox News has this headline today. Ex-Obama Intel bosses break tradition to bust on Trump for politics and profit. It says, once upon a time, former Intel chiefs employed a restrained and nonpartisan tone in the public eye. Now they're diving right into the mud of today's uh, rancorous political fights. If you think about past presidents, they usually stayed out of talking about things. And, and you know, and you'd have to admire that in some ways. Like uh, former President Bush, he was really run through the <laughs> the ringer towards the end of his term before President Obama came in. The media was very much against him and unfairly, I think. And he just he kept his you know, he kept quiet and he let the next administration do their job uh, or do what they did anyway. And uh, didn't say much about it. But now you're and, and that's kind of the way it has traditionally been. But now you're seeing that change like they were pointing out here. They have a funny political cartoon where they have the all these different uh, former um, high ranking Intel chiefs and so forth sitting on uh, rocking chairs and they're older now. But they're like they're getting still back into the mix, even though they're supposed to be retired. <laughs> so that's just the new normal, though, where everyone is attacking that you have. They talk about like shadow governments, deep state. You know, it's all that Hollywood stuff, right? Well, 
it turns out there's a lot of that actually going on. It, there really is. I mean, there's so much proof of it. Does it not seem like people are trying to uh, perform some kind of a coup against the president right now? Who is orchestrating it? There are people at the top of government, uh, military, education, politics. Uh, if you if you talk about even entertainment, everyone is trying to organize some sort of way to th- to overthrow President Trump from office, and a lot of them have even impl- implied violence with that. And then here's this situation with a past president just continually talking like he has all this authority when that authority is now gone, and members of his last administration are constantly uh, letting their thoughts be known when honestly no one really cares that much about what they have to say. Uh, but but that's even even was the case with Robert Bork too that that example where they started politicizing Supreme Court appointments that's pretty commonplace now where where judges are able to be activists they can do whatever they feel like instead of applying the law every part of this society is becoming divided split in two and you have to pick a side basically yeah there's a great uh, booklet to look at on the Trumpets website uh, America under attack which really is very relevant uh, to, to what's happening right now. Uh, one other headline just about that says Trump steps up war against FBI. So now you've got this battle going and it says Democrats have their own memo plan. So, oh, I'm sure there'll just be memos on top of memos <laughs> coming out now. Uh, and and it, it, it can, I, I do feel like um, they're, you know, people are very good when they're in, in politics of just uh, making everything sort of shadowy and it's like walking into a house of mirrors and trying to figure your way out when you look at some of this stuff because, like, there was this memo and then somebody wrote this and then there was this dossier and then there was this and then there's the FISA court. You know, you can just kind of look at it and say, ah, this is cr- – I don't even know what this is all about. And then just take the – the um, oh, whoever the host of the show is, take their word for it or their opinion for it and move on and watch the Super Bowl. And I think that's probably what happens in a lot of cases. They're telling everyone to go to sleep and most people are – just fine with obliging them but here we have all these high-ranking law enforcement officials who are compromised they've clearly become partisan hacks and yet they're still able to uh, enforce the law somehow do we not think that there's going to be a huge amount of bias there when they can't even keep their mouths shut with their personal opinions Uh, it's just getting way out of hand at this point and you can't you can't trust Robert Mueller's investigation just because of how many partisans are on his team. Um, any any person that they say lied to them, it's it's undermined anyway because they shouldn't even be doing an investigation. We've already seen from that memo that the whole investigation is illegitimate. Yet they're going to convict people for lying to them in an investigation that shouldn't even be existing. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And there's going to be a lot more about it, I'm sure, coming out on the on the different news channels. But what's very important is to really look at what's on the Trumpet.com. I'm sure there'll be some good write-ups about that. Again, America Under Attack and then the Trumpet Daily Show will have, I'm sure, quite a bit to say about that in the days and weeks ahead. So make sure you listen for that and, and, and check out uh, those sources. Uh, speaking of uh, politics in this nation, would you be surprised to know that California is very far left? <laughs> But just wait, it's going to get further that way. This is from the Washington Post. Think California politics is on the far left fringe? Just wait for the next election. The Republicans pretty much are almost kind of out of it. Uh, so in a lot of cases, you're going to have Democrats running against Democrats in, in races. And so how are they going to win? You've got to go further left. <laughs> Whoever can go the furthest left is going to win because they have the same basic ideology. So somebody's got to be further extreme than the next. 
And uh, so it looks like they're going to get even farther left than what they are now. An example of that was in even just the Democratic primaries for the last presidential election. Uh, Hillary Clinton saw how far left Bernie Sanders was and how popular he he was. And so she had to try to catch up to him in a way. And this is kind of the same thing here. Uh, the last thing I remember about Californians running against each other was that one congresswoman, I guess, doing the dab, like some sort of hip-hop dance move on stage during the mm-hmm. debate, just to try to relate to a younger audience. And it just it just shows that there's no class left in politics. There's no sort of decency or decorum. It's all about like the shallow one-liners or the, the different pop culture references you can throw in there. And, and in this case, too... A lot of really far left, destructive, nation destroying policies. Right. I think they, uh, if if a person is running for office and they they know that they cannot keep people's attention with policy in most cases, so it, it does have to be something sort of spectacular, or something on YouTube that gets out there, it gets viral, or whatever the the base is uh, what they want, and what they want is uh, is pretty lawless in a lot of cases. This uh, Washington Post write-up says the race, well, first of all, it says even some Republicans are concerned about the departure of Governor Jerry Brown, who's a Democrat. He proved to be fiscally cautious after inheriting a state seven years ago in deep recession. The race to succeed him, as well as contests for U.S. Senate and statewide offices, probably will feature a November ballot exclusively filled with Democrats. The top two primary finishers compete in the state's general election regardless of party setting up several races between the Democrats' left and even more left wings in the nation's most populous state, races that could signal the direction of the party's future. The prescription here for Democrats in a state where few, if any, will need to moderate their positions for the general election is simple. You go left, (laughs) further and further left. That means stalking out the most liberal stance on issues such as single-payer health care in California a highly expensive initiative that failed in the legislature last year. The push is in response to the uncertainty surrounding health care revisions in Washington, but it is estimated to cost twice as much as the state's annual budget. Never mind that. There are often two different words in the... Uh, sorry, they say there are often two different worlds in the same cities, not just the same state. There is a cultural divide, and we're not able to communicate on a level that is not seen as arrogant and dismissive. We need a new vernacular. So heavy, heavy divisions there, but it's going to be <laughs> left versus far left. So it's going to be interesting. They keep going far enough left, you fall into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, in their case, they're already right up there against the <laughs> against the border. Nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, well, Maxine Waters is one of those very far leftist uh, Californians who's who's in office right now. And who, for anyone who saw her rebuttal to the State of the Union. It just kind of it just gives you a good representative version of what their thought process is like because she didn't even she didn't even uh, rebut any of the points from the State of the Union address. She just went resorted to personal attacks. Then she said, "You know what? I want the president impeached, not because he necessarily has broken any laws, but just because." He's not good for the country. Well, okay, so you get to decide what's so great for the country. Law, you're just completely lawless. You're in your own world. You do not care uh, what the restrictions are on your power. You're just going to go all out on the attack, and that's just insanity. And it's probably a, a very similar way of thinking to a lot of these Democrats who are going to win their elections. It's going to be really interesting to see how far they go. 
Related to that from WND.com, California City to experiment with universal basic income. Residents get $500 a month, no questions asked, as a starting point. The mayor of Stockton, California, is leading an experiment with universal basic income, which is set to start by giving low-income residents $500 a month, no questions asked. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to stop working, right? I mean, what if you're right on that edge and, uh, you know, you make 700 a month, but you work? <laughs> well, could you just quit and make 500 a month? I mean, I, I don't know exactly if they'll just add it on top or how that'll go, but in any event, some people would be on that border, you'd think, and they'd want to dip down a little bit to get that extra 500 well, you think too. The welfare payouts probably only give you about nineteen or twenty thousand dollars a year. But then, if you put five hundred a month on top of that, you're all the way up to like twenty six thousand dollars a year. It makes a a pretty big difference for those people. So, well, being in on welfare is is basically just skating on the edge and barely having enough money. But then you add another six thousand dollars to it. That's actually quite a lot more comfortable. It makes the welfare lifestyle even more desirable because they have even more spending money now. Yeah, and listen to this. They say in addition to tracking what residents do with the money, Warren said they will be monitoring how a basic income affects things like self-esteem and identity. That's kind of funny. I mean, how are you going to... Here's $500. Do you feel better about yourself? <laughs> yes. Automatically. Yeah. What does it mean to say, here is unconditional guaranteed income just based on being a human being? Well, that's going to be dangerous for those people that identify as something else. They're not going to be able to get the money. Uh, the hope is to demonstrate the potential of universal basic income, or UBI, as it's being called, and to encourage other places to give it a try. UBI has recently gotten a boost from Silicon Valley moguls concerned about income inequality and the future of society. But the idea isn't actually all that new. Uh, according to Michelle Anderson, a Stanford law professor, UBI was first pitched by Nixon as an answer to post-industrial job losses. Well, so they're going to try this, apparently. And, um, you know, I think it's obviously it's bad on a few levels, and there's some good write-ups in the trumpet about that. But, if, if again, if you, if you are completely at the mercy of a government that says, here is your money, they can take it away, too. If you don't, oh, I don't know, vote the way they want, or if you don't subscribe to the ideas that they put out there, it's a pretty dangerous situation. I mean, it, it seems like, oh, this is great, free money, but but now you're on the hook to somebody all the time, and you, you can't go out there and, you know, be as independent as you'd like to be. They're going to track what you do with it, <laughs> you know, so uh, there's a lot to consider there. Well, it wasn't too long ago that Americans were desperate to have as little government overreach into their lives as, as possible, and they rebelled against the British, of course, and... Uh, they just thought that even if the taxes went up a little bit higher, they that was a true outrage. Now the taxes are just in a total different universe from what they used to be, and no one even bats an eye because we've been conditioned to have the government just continually expanding, continually taking more of our resources, continually restricting uh, our property rights and other, other basic uh, personal liberties uh, to where now the government's also offering free money and they're going to give us all these free health care, all these benefits that just drop out of the sky, well, I guess maybe that's starting to make their excessive power look a little bit more enjoyable for most people. Right. And But, you know, what happens if, uh, yeah, they don't like the your opinion on a few social changes? Yeah. You know, do, exactly. they, do they continue to give it to you? You know, there's also, there's another principle maybe to think about there, too, 
Well, first of all, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. I mean, and, and a, a workman's worthy of his higher employment, jobs, <laughs> doing things. But also, even even just if you look at the parable of the pounds, where you know Christ looked at individuals and said, okay, what did you do with what you were given? And those that did something with it, they got even more. Uh, there's a principle there, isn't there? That, okay, now, not to say that everybody that's low income is, fr- is wasting what they have. I'm not saying that. But what, but what if that is the case? And what if they're just not smart with it? You want to give them more? Shouldn't you look at people and say, well, who's wise with what they do? And they can have more because they'll grow it. They'll expand it. It'll be taken care of properly. There's lots of principles there um, that you could just think about in passing. And, and none of, none of those uh, principles match up with what they're trying to do here. Well, that parable of the pounds relates to that common phrase that the rich are getting richer, which people scorn that and they say that's such a horrible thing. But there's a reason for it. It's because their actions are bringing in more money. They're actually doing things that would bring in more money. Usually the rich are extremely good at saving money, investing money. Uh, they give to charities on their own without having to have the, mo- the government take half their money in taxes. They're, they're actually putting in into place in their own lives smart financial practices and that's why they're successful but but what the government tries to push or what the left tries to push is just uh jealousy toward the rich and they just outright steal money from the rich people the people who actually put in the time to earn what they got it's going to be uh interesting to see it's it's never going to (laughs) work just handing out money left and right to people uh, it never has good results. And even they did some interviews recently, I think it was ABC News, where they went around to uh, Wisconsin and maybe Illinois, a few states up there that were pretty close on the vote between President Trump and Hillary Clinton. And they just wanted to check in and see what people thought. And uh, the business owners, they said, well, look, you know, we've gotten these tax breaks. And so did they hoard the money and hide it in their pockets? No, they hired more people mm-hmm. to expand their business. And so somebody else got a job. So when those owners, business owners, which if they're in business, they're probably pretty good at it, uh, got more, they expanded and provided more for others because the business grew. And that's an extremely common practice for any business. Uh, As soon as they get more income, they do start hiring. That's not just uh, whoever they might have interviewed. That's just across the board what any company does. Any company with any ambition to make more money is going to hire more people, open up more branches of their company. Uh, they're going to try to produce more products, which takes more workers, and and they have to obviously pay those workers too. Um, it's common sense that if any person with a business ha- has ambition, which probably by definition of them starting a business in the first place is true, well, of course they're going to be hiring more people. And where's the money going to come from? It's they got to pull it from taxes or they've got to go and further into debt or something. I mean, there's not all this money. I mean, the U.S. is in such debt, and they're just going to start throwing money around to people. Uh, it's not going to work. Although, if they want to give me some, I mean, I'll probably take it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not It's not a good idea. Uh, here's a, This is really, I find this very fascinating. It's from the New York Post. A male backlash against the hashtag MeToo is brewing. Of course, we all know about this. This is the Me Too movement where women came out and said that they were assaulted or harassed in some way. In some cases, they were. And uh, they want you know the men to be held accountable. Well, now the men are saying, you know what? I can't uh, do business with you. Sorry. I just got to be on the safe side. So there's a backlash now against women in the business world. More and more people are following Vice President Mike Pence's admonition to 
uh, or at least his own personal practice of making sure he doesn't go into a room alone with a woman or to have dinner with her or to have a meeting with her because it's pretty easy for a woman to then turn around and make an accusation, obviously. Yep. They say consider what's happening in the capital of Florida. Female staffers and lobbyists have found many male legislators will no longer meet with them privately. Uh, I had a senator say, I need my aide here in the room because I need a chaperone. Lobbyist Jennifer Green told the paper. I said, Senator, why do you need a chaperone? Do you feel uncomfortable around me? Well, he said, anyone can say anything with the door shut. So they're not going to have private meetings anymore. Uh, Green said, I'm getting the feeling that we're going back 20 years as female professionals. Uh, She owns her own company. She said, I fully anticipate I'm going to be competing with another firm that is currently owned by some male. And the deciding factor is going to be you don't want to hire a female lobbying firm in this environment. Well, that's the backlash. Across industry, several major companies have told uh, their employees that they're now limiting travel between genders. Uh, They are not going to allow them to uh, take these trips together anymore because there is a chance of a lawsuit. So sorry, you're not not going to be looked at in the business world in the same way. <laughs> it's just so ironic that something that is championed by feminists, this Me Too movement, is actually setting back their cause 20 years, like this woman said. They, so the harder and harder they push for complete dominance of society and to just basically run away from their God-given roles, the worse it actually gets for them. I mean, it's just it just shows you they're just... They're bitter and they're unhappy because they're not doing what God wants them to do. That's that's what it gets down to. Well, and they're inadvertently forcing men to really follow the spirit of God's law. Yep. Because I don't even want the, the men are saying I don't even want this to look bad. So I'm I'm going to even avoid the what the appearance of evil. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? <laughs> People are being forced to obey God's law, and then then they can't. And now, now they're kind of in this. Uh, they're caught. Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, because actually, companies taking this stance is great. It's the way it should be. They should say no. That's not a good idea because something bad could happen or it could look bad. But isn't that so funny that that people are being forced to do that now? It's amazing too because God's law and the Bible that was written thousands of years ago once again proves that. It's millennia ahead of human reasoning and our carnal way of thinking. Uh, in God's church, you don't have a man and a woman go into a house alone together. They don't even close the door behind them if they're in an office room for a meeting. They would never go on an entire road trip together unless they were married. And, and now you you finally see people in society realizing that all this is just common sense. Uh, it prevents... Well, in their case, it prevents a lawsuit for sexual harassment or sexual assault, but it even prevents any type of fornication or adultery, which is the reason that God's church enacts those policies, too. Yeah, it's avoiding the uh, the temptation even. So I just, I, you know, that backlash is just really fascinating. Well, that's where they're drawing the line, though. It's it's at sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape. They don't. They didn't care before when they thought that their employees might be having an affair on a road trip. Right. But now that there's a lawsuit possibly in place because it's not consensual, they finally draw the line. If we if we had God's standard for marriage and family, they wouldn't have thought those types of trips were okay in the first place. Right. 
Yep, none of that would be happening. So it's really fascinating to see just how all these different cycles go through. Like if 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 people read Mr. Armstrong's book, uh, Missing Dimension and Sex, which is at thetrumpet.com, you know, he's writing it, in, I think, about 1980, give or take, uh, early 80s. And so he's talking about the different changes in society. There was the very prudish stance toward uh, the topic of sex where no one talked about it. And then it went the other way to anything goes. And now we're into the next one of uh, the after all the freedom. Now it's it's more of the, you know, don't you dare make me feel uncomfortable, particularly coming from the women's side of it. So it's just all these different like responses to whatever happened before it, where the simple solution all of it would be getting back to God's Ten Commandments. Everyone's just trying to fix the problem and they're just compounding the problem because they're not going back to the the source of it. And there hasn't been a right respect for marriage and family in this country for quite some time. It's only just now getting to an extreme that we've realized that. I mean, even that prudish era that he talks about before the World Wars especially, uh, there wasn't enough respect for family then either because in some cases women were actually oppressed in in the in that in in that society uh but we're just going from extreme to extreme and no one's happy because they're coming up with physical solutions to a spiritual problem right and in every one of those eras whether it was the sort of the prudery or the anything goes and now the don't you dare look at me uh in every case it still destroys family it's still anti-family because now you've got a whole group of men that are thinking "Mm, i don't want anything to do with this because I'm going to get into hot water. So, But in every case, the end result is the family is fractured more and more. Right. I mean, Mr. Armstrong even explained that in, in The Missing Dimension of Sex, how, uh, you know, 100 years ago, um, it, it wasn't so good for the woman because the man had no love in, in the sexual act. So the rape, was, rape took place that way. But now uh, it's to the other extreme where because any man and any woman are allowed to be together alone – rape still takes place because there there's promiscuity involved there's male cruelty involved uh so the problem wasn't solved with either extreme no so it's just every time there's another backlash there's a backlash to the backlash to the backlash so it continues stay tuned (laughs) uh make sure you check out the trumpet.com today the top story on the uh trumpet.com is on uh, what you should know about President Trump's State of the Union address. That's by Trumpet uh, Daily host Stephen Flurry. There is something to be said for optimism, and he was optimistic in his speech. But did he give the real State of the American Union what's really really happening? Um, and I think I think most people are aware. It's pretty, it's pretty divisive. So make sure you check that out. Also, the Trumpet Daily Show today with uh, Richard Palmer, uh, talking quite a bit about cyber war and the potential for that. Um, and uh, when you think about some of what's happened, uh, stealing data, etc., and what could happen, uh, we're pretty vulnerable as a society. Where you were talking the other day, you know, about how people, you know, pay, buy things on their phones these days and everything. We're so interconnected that if if the network goes down or there's a problem, um, we're just like we would be last night when we were watching the Super Bowl and went black for thirty seconds, and everyone <laughs> just sat there saying, "What's happening?" <laughs> Couldn't do anything. Which is actually kind of funny because a lot of people took to Twitter and said, uh, what's going on? And they claimed it was a technical glitch. But so it wasn't just us. No, it was okay, everybody. Good. 
And and so, uh, but it was funny because some people on Twitter were saying that the, the United States was finally brought together as one as we sat in darkness and silence for 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, it's that's probably where uh, a lot of the money for the military needs to be spent. Mr. Trump talks a lot about bolstering the military, but what good is it to actually get a lot more weapons or a lot more armaments when it could all be shut down by a hacker, for example, because uh, so many of those systems, even even like entire battleships are run electronically uh, through a computer grid. And if you just shut off the computer grid, do we just have ships sitting out in the ocean and, and they're just powerless at that point? I mean, it's pretty obvious that we need to have like just an impenetrable uh, cybersecurity wall before we even start investing in more physical tools for the military yeah it's a it's a really a real achilles heel uh, and that's a vulnerability so i'll make sure you listen for that program uh today also uh today on uh trumpet radio just the best literature uh has a new program it is their 100th episode it's been 100 episodes of just the best literature I didn't even know there's a hundred books out there. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so um, yeah, it's amazing how how quick time flies. Yeah, any thoughts about how many uh, Trumpet Radio lives we've done? Uh, I know it's more than that, just because we do it every day. But that is a really uh, great show, and they have covered a lot of really interesting books. Like 1984 is the one they're covering right now, which is really applicable today. A lot yeah. of liberals have bought that bo- book, but it's applicable for other reasons uh, that they wouldn't agree with. Yeah, so today's a, it's like a highlight show, kind of a montage of some of the, the highlights over the last 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. So make sure you check that out. It's a little bit of a longer uh, program than normal, uh, but uh, lots of good uh, good highlights there. So I guess if you've never listened to the show, you could ca- you catch all the way up. That's a good one to listen to. Today's episode, exactly. yeah. So make sure you listen for that. If you can't catch it live here on over the air, on the radio or the internet, you can uh, get the archives at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com. That'll be up uh, later today. Um, we wanted to talk today for the rest of the show about uh, real joy. What is real joy? I was thinking about this topic because of the Super Bowl. You have fans that win and flip cars over and yeah. <laughs> Not in every case. Some cases they are just having a good, you know, having a joyful moment. But uh, then Monday rolls around or Tuesday or whatever, or you lose next year to the Patriots <laughs> <laughs> or whoever's there. I mean, that joy is kind of fleeting. It's very hard to actually have real joy that is a constant state of uh, thinking. I mean, even though we'll have ups and downs in life, still having that underlying joy is something people really seek after. And it's a good thing to seek after, but it's very hard to find. Well, like you mentioned, those people who were euphoric last night are very likely not at work today. It's the super sick Monday, like they call it, uh, the highest rate of sick days in the entire year. So they, they were happy for a few minutes, and they might have been extremely destructive to their own city for a few minutes, but then they don't do anything today because they probably got sick from all that. Is that real happiness? Right. It It's very fleeting. This is an article that you can read the whole thing. We'll just touch the high spots here but pcog.org experience real joy surely there be few indeed who would not desire to be more happy to be truly more joyful this is by uh, ron frazier and he starts out by quoting ecclesiastes 226 which has a lot of great uh, wisdom in it and it says for god gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy so it's something that god gives it doesn't come through uh winning the Super Bowl or other things, although that can be a temporary joy, I guess. It says, note the order of things here. The gift of joy, 
follows the receiving of wisdom and knowledge. In order to receive the gift of joy, it is first necessary to receive the revelation of God that imparts wisdom from on high and the knowledge of the truth. So again, it's getting back to the foundation of God's word there. And uh, he says it is through the gift of the Holy Spirit that God's called out ones receive the wisdom and knowledge of God. So that's uh, when you think about joy, I don't think a lot of people that haven't thought much about this would start talking about God's Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion about what that is or who has it or where it is or what it is, <laughs> but it is essential to understand God's spirit and understand how to receive it, and then uh, then you can begin to uh, tap into true joy. Yeah, and there's a direct correlation between the amount of effort you put in and the amount of joy you receive. For example, yesterday, it, it wasn't hard for most of us to watch the Super Bowl and maybe feel a little bit of happiness depending on what the outcome was. Uh, so that happiness has already evaporated come today for a lot of those people. They didn't put in any, any effort, and now the happiness is already gone. When it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a total change of life. It's like digging through solid rock. It's been described as quite a few times um, to actually obtain the Holy Spirit and keep it flowing in our lives. But the effort lasts forever. So even even though it goes against our natural carnal inclinations, it's a much greater and more lasting joy. It's not going to lead to us pulling down lampposts and lighting cars on fire. Uh, we're actually going to be doing good things with actual real joy. Yeah, and and a great point about just real joy is that, again, it doesn't mean that every day, every moment is this euphoric sort of uh, moment. Um, there are tests and trials that come up. Uh, the example is given here in Second Corinthians 8, 2, uh, where... Uh, the Apostle Paul said, In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So even though they were going through deep poverty, you wouldn't think of that as being joyful, right? Give me another 500 bucks a month, and then I'll be <laughs> joyful. But they were joyful there uh, in that congregation uh, because, again, they were using God's Spirit, even though they had some difficulties and they had some trials. And then the question's asked, and this is a great question, it says, can you truly express real joy in the midst of uh, criticism, even under uh, reproach or persecution for your faith? Uh, you know, any time that there's a difficulty that comes up, can we still be joyful? Not not to say that, uh, again, there wouldn't be times where, uh, yeah, it's difficult, but there's still this underlying joy that's there, and that's, that's that lasting joy that uh, is being discussed here. And yeah, it's it's not easy to have joy when you're being criticized. Is that you know it's like that commercial, right? That's so funny where they talk about it's direct TV versus cable, right? Oh, right. And and they they show people doing things that we would all hate, like you bang your head on the door, or you you walk into a glass wall. But these people love it. We're not talking about that. That's ridiculous, obviously. But you could bang your head on the door and say that really hurt. I'm gonna be more careful next time. But you're still a pretty joyful person, right? Yeah, and like that like that congregation Paul was praising. They were in a pretty difficult situation, but they weren't miserable because they actually responded to it the right way. They gave what money they had to support other people who were in need, and they sacrificed uh, until it hurt, so to speak, which anytime you give, it's even been proven scientifically that our bodies actually, our minds and bodies feel better uh, just chemically because of giving. They gave so much, and their motivation was right, and so they had joy uh, despite a really difficult situation. Yeah. And also, it goes on to ask here, too, what about when we were under correction? You know, if we did something wrong, we got to get corrected for it. It says, can there be real joy in that 
In Paul's epistle to the Hebrews, he stated, now no uh, chastening or correction, for the present seems to be joyous, but it seems grievous at the time. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And says the key to handling correction is to not be uh, distracted by that which seems not to be part of the way of joy and avoid focusing overly on the wounds that the correction inflicts. Have the vision to see beyond the correction to the wonderful fruit of growth in righteous character. So, I mean, we even experience that in physical exercise, right? I mean, it's painful sometimes, (laughs) but you're in better shape at the end. You you can look forward to that in a physical sense of, I'm going to be in better shape at the end of this. The same is true with any sort of correction or anything. If it yields or creates good fruits, there's a real joy in that. Yeah, it's like that fight or flight principle where you want to be choosing fight in this case because we know how it feels when we get corrected and we think about it too much and we start getting discouraged. It's almost like you get sick and then you just give up on the whole rest of the day sometimes, basically fleeing or taking flight and getting away from the situation instead of actually facing the problem and overcoming it. But if you fight and you start uh, coming back from that setback, then you realize, yeah, it might have been hard to fight, but at least at least I became a better person in the process. At least I developed God's character uh, to a certain extent. Uh, and it, there's a huge amount of reward and satisfaction that comes from that. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives a great a great point here and a great key to to having joy. And this this is uh, the price you have to pay, I guess, <laughs> as it were. It says, to the degree that we submit to, obey, and apply God's laws in our lives, we shall receive, experience, and produce the fruit of joy. It's like you were talking about earlier. You have to work at it to be joyful. And, uh, again, it's to the degree we submit to and obey and apply God's law in our lives, which, again, a lot of times, if you're just thinking about it humanly, it doesn't seem like that's the way that would make a person happy. But when a person puts in the effort and do live that way, then, lo and behold, you do have that underlying joy. Mm-hmm. You see, we see it all throughout society today. I mean, even, like, say, what we talked about earlier with that Me Too movement, People that have never got involved in any uh, bad behavior in that way, are they more joyful today than those that are losing their jobs over it? Oh, absolutely they are. Now, at the time, maybe it didn't, life didn't seem quite as exciting, but they're sure joyful now that they didn't get involved in sin. There's a whole lot of value to uh, taking the long view in a lot of these different scenarios because uh, especially in society, it's glamorized all the time to just – you know, whatever, if you're sick, get the quick fix. If you are feeling sad, you know, you know, you can, you can watch this show. It'll make you laugh and you'll feel better. Whatever it is, uh, there are so many things that are marketed to us, even just outright horrible sins. Like, like you mentioned, like adultery, even, uh, some, some of those things are even glamorized. Like they're an exciting way to spend your time or to, to feel better after a stressful day. And yet, do those people really feel good long term? Does it after that half hour TV show is over, are they still happy or do they have to go focus on their problems again? You know, after after a fling, are those people really happy or are they consumed by guilt? If they have any conscience left, it's it's all guilt. So the sin never lasts. It's never something that'll make us happy in the long term, which is why we have to think about it in the long term. Yeah, and even if you look at the statistics, uh, they're just horrifying in the U.S., but the amount of, say, STDs that are out there, I think it's one in three, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Who has more joy? 
somebody in that crisis or somebody that doesn't. Now, I mean, again, people can make mistakes and change, and it's not we're not trying to jump on all that. But, but the point is, you know, if you don't have the problem it, uh, and you didn't get involved in it, there, you're a lot happier. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I have. I've had a dream where I've done something horrible, <laughs> and you're just like, oh no, and then you wake up and the relief. <laughs> Were you like, oh wow, that was just a dream. I didn't do that. Exactly. It, that's incredible. And so in real life, it, it's the same. The, to the degree that we obey God's laws, it just it's, it creates joy, and that joy just keeps going down the road and expanding. Because for, for one thing, on top of just producing joy, it avoids the pitfalls that come from sins. Yeah, and why do we have to learn that from hard experience when we do wake up and we're glad we didn't make that mistake? That should be all we need to know. If if God's telling us and he's and he knows everything, he's telling us we're going to be unhappy from making certain mistakes. Why prove that by <laughs> making the mistake and having to have the horrible experience of trying to recover from it? Um it is I mean, I guess that does show both human weakness and human stubbornness that we still go the path that leads to death, even when we know it sometimes. Um, and, and a lot of it probably is motivated by just trying to find some kind of fleeting moment of happiness, even though we know it's not going to be there. Right. And, and usually this happens in all kinds of bad ways, but people, they don't get the joy they're expecting. And so things get more extreme. That's what happens with drug abuse, right? Mm-hmm. That's why marijuana is so dangerous. People say, well, this will this will be a joyful lifestyle for me. It's not. So I need something more extreme. Instead of stopping it, usually people go further in that direction. You see that in uh, societal changes and policies. Well, I'm not really happy, so let's go further this way and see what happens. But God gives the answer to joy. It's actually keep his commandments. That's a pretty uh, simple thing to say, but it's obviously very hard to do. You do make a good point there about how people just go further into the same path that is destroying their lives. I mean, marijuana has been proven to actually it cause surges in anger and irritability, and yet people think, well, the reason for that is because my high has not been intense enough, and I need to try something even more extreme. And that doesn't even really make sense when we're talking about it right now, but that's probably sort of what the proce- the thought process is there. And it just shows you how foolish we can be when we're trying to think up solutions without God. When that is actually a viable solution in our minds, uh, we need to get away from our own thoughts and away from our own types of solutions because they just don't work. Yeah, at the end of this uh, write-up here at PCOG.org, again, it's great. You should go through the whole thing. It's uh, experience real joy. Uh, the the point is made that actually doing the exact opposite of what people normally do is what creates joy. <laughs> if if we find that we're just not as joyful as we'd like to be, we have to examine how well are we actually obeying God's laws as opposed to saying how far away can I get from them. That's what a lot of times people will do, whether they think of it in terms of God's law or they just they don't think of it that way. That's what's happening. But actually the opposite is what we need to do consider how well we're actually following those commandments right and there are tangible ways to actually measure that we can tell by where our money goes even uh what our priority is or how we spend our time what we do with our time first first thing and then maybe we put something else after that our priorities with our time with our resources uh the amount that we serve and give to other people indicates how much we're obeying God, the way that people respond to us when we're interacting with them uh, probably shows how many of those different laws of human interaction that we're obeying. I mean, there are a lot of ways to judge that. And 
uh, if we can see a lot of good fruits blossoming in our lives, probably that's a good indication we're following. And conversely, if things aren't going well in family or at work or a lot of these other areas, maybe that's showing that we're not following like we should. Yeah. There's a great, there's a point made here too, just in passing. It's, it's gets more into some of the details you can read more, but it just brings out the point that, you know, if people are joyful, you, you're probably going to see it in their countenance, in their face, their expression. They'll probably be pretty happy. It doesn't mean you're, you know, you're a circus clown and you're smiling <laughs> and juggling and stuff, but I mean, you know, you, in general, you're a pretty happy person. You know what I thought of when I was thinking about that is the state of the union. Mm. And you look at some in the audience, <laughs> you, joyful people, an underlying joy. What do you think? <laughs> I would say nay. Yeah, because for most of us, it would take a lot of effort to scowl like that. I mean, it didn't look like they were trying that hard. Maybe they just are naturally miserable people. I mean, it looked like they were not, they're not, they're just in general not happy with life is what it looked like. Yeah, it didn't look good at all. So anyway, there's some interesting points there to consider. It's a really good write-up, and everybody wants to be happier and joyful, and that's a great thing to want. And this talks about how to do it uh, pretty uh, in-depthly. Experience Real Joy is at PCOG.org, and that's by uh, Ron Frazier, who wrote that. So make sure you check that when you have a chance to do so. That's all the time we have for today on this Monday edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, as well as Just the Best Literature and Watch Jerusalem coming up today. And Music for Life as well. I think that's everything. For uh, Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.